Fresher Than Your Father podcast. Oh, Nelly. That's where that came from. I just felt like, it felt like an old Nelly time. Boom. Boom. No? Um, it's number 26. We're back. We lived through the, I lived through the hurricane. You were sitting in like sunny weather. It was, it was hot weather. Hot weather. Yeah, I think it was hot. I, I don't know. Like there was no hurricane here, so it's easy for me to forget what those days were like. Yeah. That, that, that had a little hint of douchiness to, to it, didn't it? No, 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 no. I was about to say something kind of, kind of toolish myself. <laughs> Is there a difference between tool and douched? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I pretty, think pretty much synonymous. Yeah, I think I think so, especially in their current usage. Yeah, their current usage. So how how was the the hurricane? I mean, it, for you in Brooklyn in Zone B, that's right. Zone B. Zone B. How did it How did it affect Zone B? It was just a lot of build up, a lot of pacing on my part, a lot of looking out the window, nothing yep. happening. I'm gonna go watch a little TV, go get you know go get get a couple of chips, look out the window again. Mm-hmm. Some rain. Now, when we last left you, there was there was talk of possibly venturing out for Black Iris. Did you venture out for Black we, Iris? We did. We ventured out. It was interesting. We ventured out probably just as the rain was starting to get here. And we ventured out. It wasn't raining. Walked all the way to Black Iris. They had just closed. Walked over to the, the Jamaican spot. They had just closed. Right. Started raining. Basically, we were like... There's like bodegas were closed, shit was closed, like either closed or closing. Mm-hmm. We rolled in this one deli spot, cop the six pack, and then uh, and then just headed back to the crib, posted up, watched a lot of cartoons, drank some brews, and uh, the rain came. And for New York, that's about it. Yeah. You know, luckily, so yeah. other cats, yeah. other places got hit hard. Mm-hmm. New York, you know, just a lot of rain and not quite enough to wash the hipsters away. Right, right. But Vermont just got <clears throat> got body slammed. Yeah. Vermont got hit hard, man. So, did it feel like a special amount of rain, or it was just Joe ass hard rain? It was hard rain. I mean, like, and there was some wind, and definitely. But I felt like the reasons I was like waking up in the night were more just my own stress about what might happen than Mm -hmm. any kind of, like, the windows, like, shaking or anything like that. Right. Like, um, yeah, I mean, it was, I've been through much harsher sounding storms in New York than that. So, not to, like, blow it off, but, eh. Right. It was a lot of hype. Definitely freaked me out. Mm-hmm. I definitely don't. I'm not ashamed of whatever you want to call it, over preparing, thinking about filling the bathtub, all that stuff. Yeah, you shouldn't. Be. You know, but uh, luckily we made it through. And then uh, took a walk outside, right? Like as the eye of the storm was passing over. Uh huh. Um, it's kind of cool, very silent, like kind of like an ill color to the sky, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's that. That was uh that was Irene, right? Irene. What's what's that old blues song, something Irene? Is it good night, Irene? Might be. That's you're gonna you're gonna stump me on that one. Yeah. <clears throat> That's one of those rock hall like, you know, so I for listeners that don't know, I used to work at the Rock Hall Hall of Fame, for better or for worse. That's one of those songs that just seemed like they played all the time. Like, this is important song to rock. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I feel like I heard it a lot. You know, good night, Irene. I'll see you in my dreams. That's what I hear in my head. There it is. I like that. Yeah. Everybody likes it because it's it's a classic for rock and roll. Apparently, British people who made much more important music uh, sales-wise listened to that. And so that made that song important. Huh. Well, I feel like, you know, that that that, that Dollar Bin cover album, we'll, we'll be putting that on there. Oh, yeah, that's the first song, I think. Yeah. That's the first song. And then we'll also put on Caledonia. Word. You hit, the, you hit the Caledonia? I'm not even hip. So Caledonia is by this dude, Louis Jordan. I want to say he's out of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. 
but that might just be me confusing his name with the city. But Louis Jordan, he he, they say he came up with R and B, right? Because he his style was jump blues, mm-hmm. so he jumped that blues. That's like saying that jump that blues. So he he would do it. so anyway. His song was Caledonia. This is this is the Fresh Dear Father musical history thing. The homie S Pro loves Louis Jordan, and but the hook, the best part of Caledonia, is uh like so basically this is dude dissing his woman, but talk about how great she is. You know, she got a big old head and a big old feet, but I love her just the same. And then the hook, he goes, Caledonia, Caledonia, what make your big head so hard? Mm. And so that's that's a really important song to rock history. Wow. What make your big head so hard? Yeah, we'll But he loves it. We're going to figure out a way to, like, you know, take that line and do a little flip with DJ Ian Head. And um, I don't know. Yeah, we're, we're planning. We're planting things. Planting seeds. Seeds of musical goodness right oh, now. There's going to be some Steely Dan covers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Shout out Steely Dane, the the cover band I saw. Steely Dane. Yeah. So I know it's ridiculous. We're in Dane County, Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, it sounds ridiculous, dude. I had every expectation of getting there and then leaving. Like, I'd, I'd get there, pay my $5, watch somebody play Steely Dan songs really badly and bounce. No, no, no. They were serious, dude. They were serious. They were like, that's tell you about this, though, like 17 band members or 17 cats playing? You started to, and then we, we got caught up talking about the dancing hipster. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. So, anyway, yeah. So, we'll do the cover joints of, of Steely Dan. You know? Yeah. We might even do a cover joint of that Ghostface interlude. Ooh. Heads aren't ready for the Ghostface interlude. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's little previews, little things. Fresher Than Your Father podcast number 26. I just got to say, I really like the uh, the theme music for the heads that have been listening for a while. Mm-hmm. It was classic, but I kind of just like just, just the raw start of the show. I, I, I feel you on that. What if we just dropped in a theme music randomly throughout the show? Like, just it appeared out of nowhere. Like, boom, here's theme music. Boom. And then went away. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I could dig it. It w- it would break up our priceless continuity. Is what it would do. <laughs> it would throw us off. Uh, man, what if I just here's another one. What if I just played random old school hip hop interludes throughout the show? I'd enjoy that. Yeah, well, I'd enjoy that. What what in, any interludes that pops your mind right now? Well, just when I said I can dig it, I just thought of that black sheep interlude. I don't know if you remember that interlude. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know if we can discuss that interlude on on the on the podcast, but for all you black sheep people with those those black sheep uh, cassette tapes, um, dust those off and, and go check for that. Does that, that involve Mister Long explaining his name? I'm sorry, I cut you off. I think my... it involves it involves a false or fake protest against black sheep for. Uh, being overly uh, descriptive oh, of word. various body parts. Okay. Word and it. and someone I, they had someone that just kept saying I can dig it. <laughs> the hip hop minutia. Yeah, we're just getting extra nerd, extra nerded out here. Nerded out. Yeah. Well, speaking, <clears throat> this is a non sequitur. We do talk about stuff we're gonna talk about, like, but. Total non sequitur from our loose previous to the show plan. So in the tribe documentary, oh yeah, Beach we rhymes we, and life. We haven't discussed the tribe documentary. No, we haven't. Not since both of us have seen it. Yeah, and uh, I liked it a lot. It was great. It was great. But one of the things that was interesting was the list of uh, cats that were in the native tongue crew. Uh huh. And so for both listeners that don't know who native tongue is. I can't imagine you listening to this and not knowing, but you know that was the the collective of hip hop groups that included Tribe and De La Soul and Jungle Brothers. Those are the main ones, right? That's safe to say you could. That was the the core three. Word. Yeah, and so and then the other heads. Some of them I was kind of surprised by, right? So you had what Chiali, mm-hmm. Moni Love, mm-hmm. Queen Latifah, uh-huh. uh huh, Black Sheep. 
Yeah. Beet nuts. I didn't know beet nuts were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little, little off center over there with the beet nuts. That threw you off too. Yeah, I mean, I, I was like, I was going with the flow because, I mean, you know, who knows? All these cats, I'm sure, hung out, talked about like various things, but you never really thought of the beet nuts as part of native tongues. Right. There was someone else. Was there anyone else? I feel like there was someone else, but I'm blanking right now. It was someone else who was odd, right? Yeah. I mean, you look, Black Sheep, they started off their album like, yo, we're the, you know, we're the Black Sheep of the family, we're the, you know, but we're native tongues. So right. that didn't surprise me. Sure. Queen Latifah, I feel like she was always kind of native tongues, right? Mm-hmm. And Moni Love. Yeah, and she, yeah. they were, they were all in that buddy video. Was yeah. that all it took was to be in the buddy video? The buddy video, and then there, there was that, the Jungle Brothers song, too. Um, right. Doing our own thing or whatever. Yep. Um, okay. But yeah, the Beat Nuts? I don't know. Was, was L-O-N-S included? Did they include Leaders of the New they School? They include Leaders of the New School. It just seems like they're reaching a little bit, but. It did. But we weren't in Native Tongue, so. <laughs> we have no clue. What we weren't there. <laughs> we were not there in any way, said before. And so based on our listening of records, we've decided who. <laughs> we've decided to critique this, this moment and ask, who really was in Native Tongue? Yeah. So. Jeff Anselm? Yes. He, he, he gets props to and he should have been listed. So speaking of Skep Anselm, because he did produce, he produced joints for Tribe. He made beats. Yeah. Not a lot, but he made a couple beats. So my big critique, and tell me if this is just Dave, you know, Dave record nerd, music nerd. I wanted more discussion of who produced what. Right? Ooh. That's, that's my big critique. And it would have helped peel, uh, Ali Shaheed Muhammad off of the wall. Right, because he was like basically glorified wallpaper in the whole movie, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, is that just me being a record nerd, or would that have? I mean, I think that's mostly you being a record nerd. Even though I, I agree a hundred percent, I would have loved the minutia and the musical minutia of of a Tribe Called Quest because the second half of the film was mostly just the, the tip five stuff. Yep. Um, you know, like I would have loved like them in the studio, more about how they, you know, they came up with certain joints, what inspired certain things, who produced certain things, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, and I would have, in that same extent, even if it hadn't been more of the musical minutia, I just kind of feel like I wanted a little more about Ali Shaheed. Oh, yeah. You know? He just oh, really, yeah. in that second half, he really got pushed to the side with the whole tip five thing. And I mean, obviously, like, they were, I don't, I don't want to say they were the stars, but, you know, they were the MCs, so they were always kind of in front, you know. Right. But, you know, it was a, it was a group. And, and if you knew Trap Called Quest, you knew who fucking Ali Shaheed Muhammad was. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. It wasn't like I, he was, he was like some unnamed or like some like, you know, minor DJ figure. He was part, he was a third of the fucking group. Yep. And so at least that person went from thinking he did all the beats to thinking, you know, Tip did all the beats, mm-hmm. which is kind of where I lean. But at the same time, you know, when it was all said and done with Tribe, he did put out an album of his own. It wasn't necessarily good, but he did it. He did uh, produce Brown Sugar. He did produce. Yes, he did. Uh, D'Angelo's Brown Sugar. He did. Right. Uh, yeah. Go on. He, he rolled with Sadiq and uh, Dawn and the group Lucy Pearl. Mm-hmm. And they show him in the studio with Mary J. Like, so my point is, it's not like he was a nobody musically. Cats were were fucking with him, and if he all he did was stand back there with the turntables, they wouldn't have done that, right? Nah, but I think I think Tip produced everything. <laughs> I feel you. I, I hate to say it, but I think I think Tip produced everything until JD came along, and then the question to me is, did Dilla do? All of Beats, Rhymes, and Life, did Tip pretend that he did, or did he just bite their list? I don't know. Like, yeah. you know, um, but, yeah, I, you know, like, 
I think uh I think Tip really I mean cats could have dug up different records and cats could have like chosen different ways to um you know, sync up the songs and and, and how they're gonna put things together, but I, I feel like Tip did most of the production. I remember thinking that Ali did all the production growing up. Yep. And then when I think Beats came out or definitely by the time Love Movie came out in certain discussions with certain heads, I kind of realized that uh, it wasn't really like that. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it said a lot that when when uh, when Fife was talking about what would happen when they go to other cities, that, yeah. you know, Ali would be in his room playing guitar and Tip would be out searching for records. Yeah. Like, that said a lot. It wasn't like, yeah, they'd both be out searching for records because they were always making beats. Yeah. It was, you know, Tip will be out searching for records. So I feel that, and, uh, and that, but that leads to the other thing. Uh, like, more talk about music would have led to more talk about Dilla, because Dilla got two passing anecdotal statements. Yeah. And I don't think they talk much about consequence at all. No, right. They, they, I don't think they mentioned his name. <laughs> Maybe once. Yeah. But, which, well, go on. Well, I was just going to say, like, Beats, Rhymes, and Life is the musical turning point, right? Like, you go from Midnight Marauders, which is perfect, to Beats, Rhymes, and Life, and Dilla and Consequence are critical pieces of that musical mm-hmm. transition. Yeah. And it's easy to focus on, oh, well, Tip and Fife were beefing and Fife moved to Atlanta. But it's like they gloss over, I think, something that's pretty significant. I do, too, except, I guess... I guess it depends where you want to focus and having watched, I mean, and obviously like it was edited, you know, oh, yeah. we're talking years after the fact and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. the sense you get of the group being a group is that kind of after Midnight Marauders, the group wasn't really a group anymore. Mm-hmm. Or at some some point around when Beach Rhymes and Life was made that, Cats were kind of on their own shit. And I mean, that's the sense I got, I guess. My sense I got yeah. was they were really excited, and even especially after the first album, really in the zone with writing and touring and, and just making incredible music for those first three albums. Right. And then something, it just got, something happened, and whatever, or different things happened, and there were two more albums to make and they got made, but it doesn't necessarily mean that those were fully Tribe Called Quest albums, but they were, sure. you know, so I, I guess they said, I agree with you on one hand and on the other hand, I'm like, well, it would have been a different, I don't know. No, I agree. It would have been different, mm-hmm. but all that being said, it would have been interesting to know more about, I mean, that's, you know, the thing, I feel like the hip-hop nerds always struggle with when cats make, like, hip-hop movies or hip-hop books or all these kinds of things. Right. Is that to take it, usually the author or the director or whatever wants to take it in certain directions around, like, um, personalities, politics, or, you know, kind of overall overarching, you know, specific themes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And personally, that's cool. But admittedly, what I really want to know about is this nerdy ass shit. Yeah. Like, I want to know, and I want to know from the artists themselves, ideally, like the records they were sampling, what, what they were doing, how they conceived the songs, what inspired the songs, who was there in the studio, you know, who they were working with, all that kind of shit. Oh, yeah. All the nerdy fucking, I, I don't even know if it's gossipy or whatever, that kind of shit. Like, you know, there's been a number of recent hip-hop books written that got a lot of acclaim that I think were really good books, but left me really wanting more around kind of that nerdy shit and instead spent a lot of time talking about kind of how these groups fit into some kind of overarching... Uh, I just, I'm just sounding like a dick right now, but... about. How they fit into some overarching, like, political, like, academic landscape. And, like, that's cool. 
I just want some fucking nerdy shit, man. I want another fucking minutia, musical minutia, nerdy ass shit. Well, see, this is the thing, like, <clears throat> for whatever else you, you think hip hop is or isn't, at its core, it's some record nerd shit. Really. Yeah. Right? Like, at its core. And, you know, the newer cats, the synthesizers, and, you know, the computer programs, whatever, whatever, is changing that. But, you know, the core of the sound is some record nerd shit. It always has been. Always has been. So, it, to me, it's a little backwards to say we're going to be academic or look at it, at it, you know, it's intellectual way, yeah. but not really fuck with, to me, what's its core is the record nerd shit. We're totally biased on this, but still, I, I, you know, it's the DJ culture in a lot of ways. Yeah. But I, <clears throat> I guess for like the narrative of the movie, right? Cause it made for a good entertaining 90 minutes, the way that, that Michael Rappaport put the movie together. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, I could have stood for another half hour easy. Now that could just be the obsessive tribe fan in me, but I, I think it could have stood another half hour, even another 15 minutes. It could have been spent on that kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree. You know, yeah. Asking Poss about being in the studio in those early, cause you'll hear yeah. stories oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. about Absolutely. how all, they were in each other's, they were in the studios together as they were working on these classic Tribe and Daylight albums. Yeah. So a couple of anecdotes about that, right? Yeah. I don't know. And then what I, the, one of the things I thought was interesting and, and the homie Mark, shout out DJ Kinetic, after the movie pointed this out was that you get the sense coming away from the movie that tri, that Tip's great genius was finding loops. Um, but, I don't know how much of it was flipping. I mean, let me not, you know, say anything crazy because Tribe albums are impeccably mixed, right? They're beautifully mixed, and the way the tracks are put together is groundbreaking, right? But the difference between what what Dilla would do with a great loop and what Tip would do with a a good loop is pretty dramatic, right? And I, I think it's partly why Tip messed with Dilla so hard was like, there was a limit to what Tip could do to a, a fresh loop, and there didn't seem to be any limits to what Dilla could do to a fresh loop. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, yeah. I just feel like Dilla was a little younger and coming from a little different place. But uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel like um, I agree with that. I mean, you know, Tip definitely saw Dilla's genius. Um, but Tip flips some ridiculous loops. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, I, I, to me, the genius of Dilla is is just that he was multi-dimensional beyond loops. He was orchestrating things. He was chopping things. He could he could exist and kept existing in all these different ways of production. Right. I didn't really see Tip, except when he was like kind of trying to bite Dilla. I didn't really see. I've never I've never heard like tip production, you know, like I don't know. Like tip just to me is if all those tribe albums, those first three albums especially were produced by Tip, then Tip is really one of the great 90s early 90s and 90s producers, you know. Oh yeah. Uh where it comes to selecting loops that at that point no one had really fucked with and selecting incredible drums mm-hmm. as well. Did they interview Bob Power in the movie? Briefly. Yeah, they did. They talked yeah, to him. That's right. They talked to him. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Because that's the thing, man. Those records just sound so good. Like the mixing and the recording yeah, of yeah. them. and Yeah. They really yeah. sound good. But yeah, there was some missing, there was some missing nerd, nerdy elements that I would have liked. You know, or they, they touch on something and then they move away from it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. But let's just let's just let's just touch on a, a brief nerdy thing. What about the end? Oh, it was great. What did what did they say? I didn't realize people didn't know about what sample was used for uh, Brooklyn Dodgers. Well, you the the filtered part. I don't know. Isn't that what? Isn't that what uh, was Dave asking that question? Yeah, he was asking about the filtered part. Do you you know what it is? No, I don't. I just didn't know that that was a mystery. Yeah, I, I guess so. 
the, the few mystery samples. It's up there right. with uh, the ice cream sample. Oh, that's a mystery sample, huh? No one has ever figured out that sample. People have even asked Riza. He's just, like, smiled. <laughs> no kidding. Certain, like, if you ask, like, the heavyweight producers, those cats are, like, just, they're just grinding their teeth not knowing what the ice cream sample is. The vocal sample? I don't know. The whole fucking, like, it's one of the great, if not the great, sample mysteries of hip-hop. Record wow. nerds out there, like, especially, like, the kind of, like, Mr. Supreme type cats who mm-hmm. have just been, like, collecting vinyl and, like, amassing nerdy nerdy knowledge for years. Yeah. Do not know. <laughs> and they're just, I've just heard cats get pissed off not knowing. Wow. They're, they're just out there, like, just clawing at their faces trying to figure out the ice cream sample. Which, I gotta say, yeah, it was a cool song. I remember mostly for the chorus, which was kind of like, I don't know, like, just kind of a goofy chorus back in the day. Oh, yeah. You know, but it's not like, it's not like I, when I think of the Raekwon album, I'm like, oh, yeah, Ice Cream. That was, that was the joint off the album, you know? Right, right, (laughs) right. I guess if you're, if you've been like picking through all the fucking Wu-Tang library samples, the ice cream sample is still the mystery. I really just digressed out of it. I just transitioned far away from a Tribe Called Quest movie. It's, no, it's it's all good. I, I had no idea that there was that, that that was a, a issue or a question. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't think it's a question for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> That's real. That's real. Yeah, but it's a fun little window into like uh like when Dave says that, but see that that's that says so much, right? About about what was missing from the movie to me, because there is the all the tribe the the tribe side production. Did that add to the beef? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is is that part of why? Because that was when the first time when Tip started doing beats, and it would say produced by the Abstract. Well, not just Tip doing beats, man. What about? I mean, think of all the Tip cameos. And how many five tam- cameos were there? There were a lot of tip cameos. I used to collect the tip cameos. Really? There were that many? Yeah, I mean, you know, classic guest spots. Black Sheep, uh, obviously like Native Tongue related ones, and then he'd turn up on like other cats' albums, the Heavy D. Shit, yeah. You know? Yeah. I feel like the only cameo that tip did was, um, Whitey Wait, Don. That Fife did? That's Fife, Whitey Don? Fife and Whitey Don, article. Wow, we're going so deep. (laughs) Press press on white vinyl. (laughs) Wow. I don't feel like... I mean, did did Fife do any other cameos? Yeah, but see, no, I don't think he did. But he was Fife. Like, he was trying to check for sports. It's true. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, like, this is a nerdy, a nerdy road that didn't go down. Mm-hmm. He was trying to check the sports. He was. He was, uh, trying to break heads off on AM teams. <laughs> that was, that was the whole five steeds. It was, man. Yeah. So October 18th, the DVD is dropping. So I'm hoping there'll be some sweet, there'll oh, be some yeah. sweet extra yeah. features. Word up. Some. Some joints that uh that you can that you can check for listeners. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, so so speaking of of records, you you had a, a nice little event organizing the records. Yeah. So you know, I've been talking about this. I actually did this in Portland before I moved, but uh. Yeah, I had a little, like, gathering. I can't really call it a party. It wasn't like, you know, we were just, like, breaking out the bruise and, like, you know, listening to loud frat boy rock music or anything. But uh, it was um, a little gathering. Got some bagels, got some coffee, some Mm -hmm. juice, 
And, uh, yeah, alphabetized some records. A couple of heads came through. It was nice going through your stacks, playing and playing all kinds of, I think we played everything from, like, the Traveling Wilburys. Uh-huh. To, uh, that we played. We played uh, Cannonball Adderley, Kurt, Little Curtis. Um, yeah, you know. I felt like I had I had some deeper things to talk about in reference to alphabetizing your records, but really, when you alphabetize your records, you just alphabetize your records. ABC. Yeah, like, yeah. Once you started talking about it, I was like, whoa, this this doesn't have many like because you'd have to get into like personal interactions. That's probably not appropriate for the podcast. You know what I mean? Like who said what and what did they say? What did they say? Were there controversial things said? Right. Like, were, were there debates about where records should go? Probably. This is, this is, this is occasionally the debate. Here's, here's the big question. Where do you put Sade? You mean in terms of genre? Genre. Now, my shit's already pretty much organized by genre. This was mostly an alphabetizing. But these things came up when, when I was sorting, when my records were totally random, and I had to just organize by genre, right? Now, obviously, Depending on what you collect, you might you might shift, you might group certain genres into one clump because, you know, for for me, I probably own about eight to ten records that you could classify as blues records. Okay, right. right. So I don't really that's not enough records for me to to to, to carve out a blues section. Gotcha. So I'm probably just gonna put that in the general like soul type section. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a very general category, but you know, right? Like, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. You know, right. exactly. Right. And like, like, like in a very general way, my records are mostly mostly organized into hip hop, jazz, soul, and rock. Gotcha. Um, but there's other subsections, you know, that could, once you get enough of a certain kind of record that you can start organizing your shit into. Right. Um. Like like if you got a bunch of disco, you would separate it out from yeah. your soul and you yeah. have your disco section. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then you could obviously break down your soul into like funk. Yep. You know, like and you can break it down by year and all that stuff. But right now my soul and my funk are all in one section, my disco is in that same section, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now where are you gonna put Shade? So I don't it, it's too it's it you can't really comfortably throw it in jazz. I guess yeah, though I'm not saying that those are the only sections you can throw it in, but just if you if you were to if you did have let's say you had like ten thousand records, so you had a number of different sections, and I'm not talking about super obscure sections, but just different sections. Where would you group Shade? I, if I had enough soul to do it, and I kind of do, I'm embarrassed to say. I fuck being embarrassed. It's it is what it is. There kind of is a, for lack of a better term, I, I hate this like, I hate this term, but like a neo soul kind of section. So uh, I'll cut to the chase. I think I will organize it by where I would play it and who I think would want to listen to, it, mm-hmm. right? So that tends to be more down tempo, chill type shit, but definitely not jazz, right? It's mm-hmm. jazzy. It's got jazz elements. You could hear it on the wave, soft rock stations. I mean, not soft rock, but soft adult contemporary type joints. Yep. But it remains a mainstay amongst amongst smoothie black people, like older 30s, 40s, 50s black people with more sophisticated tastes who do like Jill Scott. Mm. Now, I, I don't own Jill Scott anymore. I say with an element of pride. But, but, Omar, right? Exactly, Omar. Uh, you know, maybe with your D'Angelo, if you have any Remy Shand, <laughs> Van Hunt. You know what I mean? Like, like artists like that. It would Maxwell, right? You you would put all that together. God forbid, India Ari. Um, you know that kind of stuff. So. I'm going to rephrase this question a little bit, cause I, but this is interesting, because these are the kind of questions that come up, right, when you start yep. sorting your shit, especially yep. with certain articles, articles, fucking articles, why you done, <laughs> certain fucking 
artists that can uh, that can kind of float in between different genres, right? And obviously, you're organizing your records number one for you, so yeah. it's like what's in your brain. But yeah. when you have people over to help them organize with you, things are gonna things are gonna happen. So, to me, Sade exists in like what my man DJ Center would call modern R&B. And I might even I might even throw in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Um because yeah. I might I for me I don't have quite enough records to separate super out, but I what I consider kind of an eighties an eighties sound, I probably if I had if it was between soul and eighties, mm-hmm. I'd probably end up putting Sade in eighties. Now, this offends a number of people. Why? <laughs> who basically, well, not enough. I shouldn't say it's this giant mass of people who are protesting at the door of my apartment, but people who have helped me store records were offended that I wasn't putting Sade in soul music. And it's just, just one of those interesting things. Just like there were certain, I'm trying to think of the, oh, Tommy, Tommy Rowe? Tommy Rowe. Tommy Rowe. I don't know if you know Tommy. Tommy Rowe? Tommy Doe? Tommy Rowe. I gotta look this one up. Um, well, okay. Like Beach Boys. Yeah. Where would you put Beach Boys? I'm gonna, I'm gonna instantly put Beach Boys in rock. Yeah, absolutely. But a lot of nerdy heads are gonna be Beach Boys aren't rock. Beach Boys are pop. Oh. See, this to me, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a douche here. I'm gonna be a little bit of a tool here. That to me is a lack of understanding of what rock is. <laughs> if you, if you think of rock as just hard guitars, you're out. You know what I mean? You're out. And, I mean, sure it's pop, but all this stuff is pop, really. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. If it crosses over, I mean, you're going to tell me that uh, uh, Respect by Otis Redding slash, it is Otis Redding, right? Otis Redding slash Aretha Franklin. You're going to tell me that's not pop? You know what I mean? Exactly. No, no, I, I agree. But if you're filing it by its creative context, then it's soul. But, so yeah, Beach Boys, man. But then also, I think that's a little bit of being dismissive of the Beach Boys, right? Yeah, it's pop. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. not good art. Yeah. No, no, no. Get your pet sounds game on. You know what I mean? <laughs> get your get your game right. Man, I was bumping some Beach Boys the other day, man. That shit is just even the big hits, man. They're just yeah. wild production shit that I did not appreciate earlier, but. <laughs> Man. Anyway, it was it was Tommy Rowe, and I had this Tommy Rowe record, Dizzy, which has a little break on it, but also was kind of a big record, I guess. Huh. And I was I was admonished for not uh, placing that in a pop section rather than rock. But you know what? I have no pop section, so fuck you, hipster. Yeah. What what is a pop section? What like you, you know, know what I mean? Like cats. I feel like you know certain cats see. But again, and now again, I can get up on my high horse and be like, fuck you, hipster, you fucking recategorizing your shit wrong way, motherfucker, you fucking fucking up, mother. Right. But ultimately, it's what, it's what your brain tells you how you want to categorize it. You're right. But, yeah, what the fuck is pop, man? Fucking shit. Yeah, like, especially, I, I think partly it's, I feel, or maybe I'm a putting in myself a dismissive undertone to that category like it's crap so we put it in pop yeah i think it it depends how i think people do view not to just let's play a little devil's advocate i think some people do view pop as um i guess i mean i guess there's always kind of this undertone to it of like it's kind of it's not as rich of a music like but or as deep of a music but i think people view and love what they consider pop music separate from uh, what 
you know, like what might not have been the big hits or whatever. But I agree. I mean, ultimately, I agree with you. I just think, you know. So, but you're you're making me think of it interesting. So, like current music. Yeah. Let's say if you're a working DJ, and a working DJ might like to have some of these pieces, especially if you do things like weddings, you like to have some pieces like this in your collection, right? You you like how I, I qualified this. So I do own, um, like the 12 inch for Maroon 5's This Love. I think I paid a buck for it, uh-huh. but it seemed like the kind of thing that was kind of cool to have, right? So, a song like that, is it rock? I'm gonna admit that my Maroon Five knowledge is basically zilt. If you, you know that song, "This Love," right? No, I don't know it unless you played it for me. Okay, that's to your credit. So, if, but so if we were to go like Christina Aguilera, it was a big hit. It was a big hit. Christina like, Aguilera. Christina, well, let's 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 just go. Let's go right to giant cult following, possibly pop. Dave Matthews Band. See, that's that's solidly rock to me. Is it? I think so. I mean, I would I would say rock. But it's it's such a giant. When they were big, they were so giantly big that it's hard. And this is me. This is me being an asshole. It's hard to, like, sit them next to, like, Oh, it's rock. I'm gonna put them in the crate next to fucking Led Zeppelin. Well, I agree with that, but I guess I guess what I'm thinking about in in Maroon Five, I think, and if, if I'm using this argument, then Maroon Five will go into rock. But what is the idea behind the creation? Of, like Katy Perry. Uh huh. You hit the Katy Perry. Yeah, well, yeah. Lots of Katy Perry. Lots of makeup, right? Yeah, pop, yeah, big and hits. big big pop hits. I feel like Katy Perry is like club music, right? Oh. But again, this is my brain. So this is how my brain works. And especially if I'm at, uh, if I'm thinking about DJing, and I feel like especially recently, um, in the last 10 years or so, or even five years, that a lot of pop music is, is to me club music, which means, or dance music. And dance music is that's a big category right there. Oh my but, gosh! But like to me, dance music isn't any music you can dance to. Dance music is fast, high BPM music with probably a vocal lead and uh, probably a big hit, and like like Katy Perry or like Lady Gaga. Yeah, see, Lady Gaga is another one <clears throat> that I would struggle to put in a rock. Yeah, I would. But, I would put it. In, I would put it in electronic, like I put it in uh, club music. But see, okay, so this is, this is showing, I think, a little bit of our of my judgmental thing that I would consider Gaga putting her in pop or creating a pop content category for her or mm-hmm. artists like her. Mm-hmm. But I would never question putting Elton John in rock. No, nah, Elton John is rock. So, but but. I don't know that the difference between Lady Gaga and Elton John is as big as we want to think it is. Or David Bowie. Who Here's, why. Add, like, Here's tr- why I wouldn't. Well, yeah, David Bowie is. But David Bowie to me is 80s. <laughs> 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 and Elton John floats into that 80s world a little bit. <laughs> and and the reason, the only reason, I mean, and I, I hesitate to put David Bowie in. I can, I feel like. And again, it depends how much of a certain type I have of music I have. But yeah. and things are now easier in the digital age to multi-categorize and all that kind of shit because I can just fucking tag something up and put the same song in multiple folders. But Lady Gaga to me, the only reason you play that is to have people dance to it as a DJ. You're playing Lady Gaga beat is fat. I don't. I'm not even up on almost any Lady Gaga, but I feel like most of that stuff is club music. I'm going to mix it at a high BPM. People are just, you know, raving out to Lady Gaga. There might be a, a David Bowie mix that I could blend or mix with Lady Gaga. That's high BPM, has like some pretty hard, like kind of beat, electronic beats to it that I could mix there. And then we could say that that's a club mix or like or whatever. And maybe I throw it in the dance music field 
It's getting so fucking nerdy. I'm sorry. And no, it's cool. But Elton John, you'd have to really show me that fucking Elton John club mix remix fucking 12 inch with the eight minute extended version with the fucking four on the floor that I don't know about before I threw Elton John in the same category as Lady Gaga. Well, see, what's what's interesting is that that one that the power of the '80s in creating its own genre, right? Because because David Bowie is a '70s artist. It's much, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like Low and Hunky Dory and you know Ziggy Stardust. Like those are all '70s records. I'm pretty sure. So he's got this whole canon, but but the power of Let's Dance. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And when when it hit for us. You know the 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 Elton John joints. Who were his joints? I'm still standing, right? The '80s joints, like they. And you know what? I mean, I gotta say, I feel like if I think about it more, when when someone says '80s music or '90s music, like I'm trying to think of '90s music because I feel like a lot of that stuff, when you start labeling by decade, it's decades that you can you can relate to because you were there, like if. If some, uh, I guess you could say 60s. But anyway, I feel like these decades, I'm sorry to interrupt you too. Oh, it's all good. It's going off. But the decades are fucking like, I feel like it's another way of saying pop music. Because, uh, I mean, maybe not, but when I think, okay, well, 90s, what's 90s music, right? Like, what would I put in 90s? I'm thinking, and this is the same with 80s. When I think 80s, I don't, I'm not thinking, and this is just my brain. I'm not really thinking in the 80s, in the 80s crate. I'm not, I'm not as much really putting in like slowed, you know, I'm not putting like my fucking, if I have like 80s soul or 80s jazz albums, I'm not really putting them in the 80s crate. What I'm putting in the 80s crate is fucking like in excess and, uh, Shit that's up tempo, that were big, that had big hits on them, and that to me, when I'm now that I'm thinking of '90s, I'm thinking '90s, like I'm thinking like early '90s, like you know, it's just the the '80s, not early '90s, late '80s kind of uh, era of Jimmy Jam and shit. But like like '90s, I'm thinking like you know, at the start with fucking Jimmy Jam type stuff, and then going into like big '90s hits. If I had a '90s crate. I don't have a 90s crate. I can't really See, conceive of having a 90s crate, but... Right. But... I might be just, I'm just going off the top of my head. I mean, 60s, I'm thinking 60s. If someone's like, yo, I just play strictly 60s, I'm thinking, yo, all I'm thinking is you're playing the big hits from the 60s. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, and, and there's plenty of 80s stuff that's, like, strong enough in its own. Like, like... I would never think of Prince as 80s music because Prince's individual identity for me is so strong that it exists. Although I'm sure if you're spinning an 80s set and you would throw in Raspberry Beret, right? You would throw in a Little Red Corvette. Let's go crazy. Yeah, I mean, I mean I, right now my Prince is in my soul section, but if I had, if, if I'm thinking of specific Prince albums, I'm putting them in the fucking 80s. Wow. I don't know. I don't know. I feel you. Wow. We. It, I think both of our listeners should chime in. It would be awesome if if heads like would stop through everydaybeats.net and uh and throw up some of their thoughts. Yeah. Mixtapes at everydaybeats.net. Please. Yep. You listening? Yep. If you listen that far, that's a dedicated listener. Right. And and both of you should should share your opinion. You need to holler at us, even if both of you are. We know who you are. You mm-hmm. still just should holler at us anyway. Yep. Fucking fresher than your fucking father. Podcast. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, we we've been going in. What do we want to uh, leave the listeners with? A little little knowledge. Little um. Are we going to do some 5% related? Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I have time to really go into it. I just, you know, oh, it, was a, it was a oh, tense. that, yeah. Yeah, it was a tense conversation this morning with the wife, who's a little younger and not as, as into hip-hop. 
and I had an issue with my use of the word build to describe a, a, a deep conversation. Well, we can we can come back to that, you know. Because well, well, it's, a, it's a deep issue, right? It gets into our music taste, right? Because that came from the music, right? Yeah. Yeah. Build. And then build. Let's I mean, get, let's. We, we need to build on that, so. Let's build. Yeah. Knowledge, yes. knowledge should be born, and we need to build on these things. Right. In 60 degrees. And but we, can't, I, we can't really just rush through that kind of thing. No, but I will say, I did completely undermine my argument by choosing to quote Ghostface in defense. And not even Ghostface using the word build. But when he said, you know, my seeds, marry his seeds, marry his seeds, that's how we keep Wu-Tang money all up in the family. It struck me as an important phrase used to explain why this is so important. And then that was met with a <laughs> appropriate blank stare. Like, really? <laughs> <laughs> really? This is what you this is your defense. <laughs> wow. An argument was lost. Wow. It's incredible that there was a debate. A spousal not spout spousal, no. What's yes, the word? Spousal. spousal? Yeah. yeah. Debate in which obscure ghost face quotes were referenced. That's that's just me being an idiot. That's just amazing. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. We'll be back next next episode with a couple of classic building quotes that we can build on. That's what's up. And we'll build up to that episode. Yeah, and, and throughout that episode I'm sure knowledge will be born. Knowledge. Knowledge knowledge was knowledge born today? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Let's, let's recognize that last episode, if you missed it, listeners, knowledge was born about a specific individual. Boom. Boom. His name was Jay Bless. <laughs> uh, you can't see Jay Bless without a blunt, can you? Is Jay going to sit and have a conversation with you if you have him roll one? I think the big worry about Jay Bless going to the spot is that he's going to come with a fucking... He might, he might be, he might be making deals out of the spot, out it's, of your spot. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a fair concern. I mean, it's just he, it fucking Jay Bless, man. That he's dude. lighting it up as soon as he walks in the door before oh, he takes his shoes off. Oh yeah, and wilding out. Yo, I, I gotta run. I gotta, I gotta do these things. You gotta handle these businesses. Things need to get taken, getting taken care of. But we'll return with Fresher Than Your Father. That's right. Stay blessed.